We're starting a new series today on Galatians. We're going to be uh, in Galatians till the end of July. So it's going to be good. It's going to be a variety of uh, different preachers. And um, we've been meeting, talking about it, getting into it, and getting really stirred about the stuff that's in here. So I'll give you a little bit of background about the book, first of all. I guess today I'll be, we're going to do the first 10 verses. Uh, we'll read them in a second, not yet. I'll give you a little bit of intro on the book itself. So if maybe a friend's here, not here today, but they're going to be here next week, and maybe just get in touch with them and say, catch up on the podcast, um, so that they've got a bit of the background. I'm not going to do a massive thing, but just a bit, a little bit of background on the book. Um, you know, some of these books, they all kind of sound the same, and you know, you can just mix up which one's which. So just to try and help you understand wh- where we're going here. So this book was written... Around about 48 AD, Jesus was crucified around about 33 AD. I mean, people, you know, figures differ from here to there, but roughly. So we're talking about 15 years after Jesus' crucifixion, this book was written. Um, It was written by a man who, in those days, people had a number of names. So his name was Saul and Paul. So you probably heard of the Apostle Paul, even if you're not very familiar um, with Christian things. So... Um, so the Apostle Paul, they reckon, became a Christian, got converted around about a year or so after Jesus' crucifixion. Um, it could have been longer, but different people say different things, like I say. Anyway, a little bit of a story about Paul, because he wrote the letter. It's really important to understand his story. He was converted to Christianity from Judaism. He described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means that he... Um, he, was, he epitomised what it meant to be a Hebrew, an Israelite, a Jew. And, um, uh, but when he, was, when he was converted to Christ, he was on his way to a city called Damascus, where he, the plan was he had letters of authority with him to arrest Christians and imprison them. His idea was to destroy the church. He explicitly says that um, early on in this letter. On the way to Damascus, the Lord Jesus, who by this point had ascended back uh, into glory and was is with the Father, the, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a blazing light and he was temporarily blinded. And, and um, he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He replied, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Go to Damascus and you'll be told what to do. He was led to Damascus, blind at that point, uh, where um, a, a local Christian called Ananias came, laid hands on him, something like scales fell from his eyes. He was baptised and um, the Lord spoke to him clearly about going to reach the Gentiles with the Christian message. Now for us, that's kind of like, okay, what's the big deal? Then it's a massive deal. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. At this point, the people that are becoming Christians following Jesus have been Jews, and their assumption was, it's for us, not for these non-Jews. And, uh, and so Jesus uh, commissions Saul, Paul, this Jew of Jews, this Hebrew of Hebrews, and says, you're going to reach the Gentiles with this message, with this gospel message. And so really from that point onwards, Saul or Paul begins travelling around um, the Mediterranean world, um, telling Jews, but also Gentiles, the message, the good news of the gospel, which we'll look at in a moment. And many, many people come to know Christ and are converted. And what Paul does is that he, he spends a short time somewhere preaching the good news, and then some people uh, come to know Christ, and they're organised into communities or churches, and then he moves on. He either moves on because it's just time to move on, or he's driven on because of opposition, normally by other Jews. Uh, and so that's how Paul rolled, really. That was his pattern. He would go around, but he would maintain some connection with these churches, either through people that were working with him or writing letters, which is a lot of what the Bible is. So that's what we've got now. 
Paul, on one of these journeys, reached an area called Galatia, which, again, laying aside details of controversies, roughly speaking, around Turkey, kind of very modern-day Turkey. He left some churches there. Shortly after he left, some people came to that church from Jerusalem. Now, they would have been professing Christians, they were Jews, and they would have been professing Christians, but by the way Paul talks about them in Galatians, you think, "Mm, maybe they weren't, maybe they thought they were Christians, but they weren't. Either way, they'd got a lot of the message wrong, they'd got a lot of the message skewy, they definitely believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't believe that it was enough to simply believe in Jesus to be saved. So, these people came from Jerusalem into these churches in Galatia, which were full of Gentiles who had converted to Christ. And they started saying to them, hold on a minute, why aren't you circumcised? Don't ask me how they knew, don't know, okay? Not going to go there. But they, 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 maybe they just asked them, have you been circumcised? He said, no. Why haven't you been circumcised? They said, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And then they said, are you living by the law? Are you living by the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, in terms of dietary laws and all these other laws that we have in the Old Testament? And they said, no. Paul didn't tell us that we needed to be circumcised or obey the law to be saved. He just said, believe in Jesus, and we've discovered Jesus, and we're having a wonderful time. And they said, no, this is not the full picture, you must now do these other things. Essentially, I guess they were saying you must become Jews. Essentially, they were saying that we are the Jews, we are God's people, we are God's chosen people. If you want to come to know God, you've got to become a Jew because the Jews are God's people. And that's really what happened. And a lot of these Galatians have begun getting circumcised and living kind of legalistic lives, living lives under the law of Moses. And so Paul writes this letter to say, what on earth are you doing? Now, Where's the relevance of this? Because I guess you could look on and think, this, is, this, this controversy is thousands of years old. This Jew-Gentile thing is no longer a big deal. I mean, we've not, you know, there's not been a big problem around circumcision in the church, has there? We've not really faced that one in the six years we've been around. It's not been a big deal. Neither have dietary laws and all, a lot of the detailed laws of Moses. We, we have not got into that. So what's, what, why is it relevant? Here's why it's relevant. Underneath this Jew-Gentile thing, underneath this circumcision law thing, is this whole idea of boasting in something more than Jesus. It's like a Jesus and... It's like Jesus in and of himself is not quite sufficient, is not quite enough. I must now also do some things in order to be right with God. <coughs> Jesus plus. And it's really around boasting and confidence in the flesh, in human effort, rather than just utter confidence in all that Jesus is. And this creeps into so many areas, that you are, particularly of religions, but even of Christian churches. You often find there's no joy. There's, no li- there's not much life. People, it's almost as if like they're carrying a bit of a sack on their shoulders. And you think, oh, there's not... It just seems like either they're just busy for Jesus or just like really serious about Jesus, which is kind of cool. But there's, there doesn't seem to be much joy. Or just very... They seem to have adopted lots of strange formalities as well as Jesus. And, you think, and, it, and what happens is, is that through this thing, something get, the shape changes, and you think it's not quite right. And I want us to really dig into this through this series so that we really increasingly are those who are Jesus is enough people. Because I'll tell you what, it's beautiful, it's a wonderful thing. So we're going to really be digging into that. It's very relevant no matter where you're at spiritually, because I think at, at the bottom of everyone's deeper questions about life lies this issue of how can I find that sense of 
shalom or well-being. How can I, how can I get that? That wholeness, that well-being, that, that, that sense of transcendence that I've somehow reached that reach something that is beyond simply who I am, and through that have found a, se- a sense of completion and fullness. Um, the Bible points to Jesus as the way to know in shalom, to know in relationship with God, to know in reconciliation with God. And obviously these Judaizers, they, what, they was, they, what they were saying was that there's, um, you know, there's, there, Jesus is not sufficient to bring that into your life. And I don't know quite where you're at. It's a wonderful thing here because on every Sunday there will be Revelation Church gathered and then also guests. And guests come in anything from Christians passing through to people here thinking, I want to find out more about this Jesus stuff. Which means there's always a variety of people coming to listen. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe for you, um, the big message for you in life is physical beauty. It's, it's a cosmetic thing. That's the big thing that you focus on. The externals, how you, how you look, how you come across. I don't know, everything from skin complexion to body shape. Maybe that's the big deal for you. Or, or maybe it's money security. Maybe for you, that you, if you just get that little bit more, you'll feel like, okay, we've got it together now. Or maybe it's more, more spiritual, more that sense of, you know, I don't know, you're into the um, connecting with the universal consciousness through things like yoga and other stuff. Like that's the thing that really floats, uh, really floats your boat. Or maybe it's charitable works. You think, if I can just be good and do better, then I'll get that sense. Paul is saying it's through Jesus. So we're going to look at that now. So Galatians chapter 1, the first 10 verses we're going to go for today, we're going to, they're going to come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. So, um, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these precious words that are full of energy, emotion, passion, sincerity, just to be around the passion here, to catch the eternal weight of what is going on, is extraordinary. And in our flippant and superficial age, I pray that you would help us to connect deeply with the real weight of what is going on here. That we will be moved. That we will be changed. That we will, that we will be woken up. That we will be gripped and arrested. That the way we approach life, you, ourselves, one another, would be revolutionised. Again, through the power of your word in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, uh, okay, it's, <laughs> it's strong stuff. Um, it's a bit like, a, it's a, you know, it's not, it's not a, um, it's not a squash that you can't, it's not diluted. This thing is like before you put the water in. 
you know, you drink it and you're like, wow, what is that? This is really strong stuff. This introduction is a unique introduction in all of Paul's letters. Even the Corinthians get better treatment than this. Bear in mind, the Corinthians, they got a guy in the church who's sleeping with his stepmom. Some of the Corinthian uh, believers are arguing against the resurrection. Uh, uh, the rich ones are turning up to meetings early, guzzling all the food and drinking, getting drunk. So the poor ones who have to work longer and arrive later go hungry. Um, I mean, it's a mess. Paul says to the Corinthians, your gatherings cause more harm than good. And they don't get this kind of intro. The Galatians get, I mean, it's like, why? Why do the Galatians, why do they get both barrels? Why, why the strength? The strength is simply this. What they are doing undermines the very heart of the gospel. Paul can handle a bit of conduct that needs straightening out. Paul can handle some immaturity that, okay, let's work together, we'll figure this out. But when people begin to undermine the pure gospel, different thing. Very, very serious issue here. So let's look. We're just going to go through it verse by verse. Um, first couple of verses. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters who are with me. We'll look at that next week. It's more relevant next week. Okay? So believe that? Park it. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Rhythm. In writing, there's certain rhythms. In poetry, there's often rhythms. I've got some limericks here. So just to, just to demonstrate rhythm, help you understand rhythm. There was a young lady from Leeds who swallowed a package of seeds. Now this sorry young lass is quite covered in grass but has, has all the tomatoes she needs. All right. Now what you've got there in that limerick is a rhythm. The rhythm is, is that lines 1, 2 and 5 are pretty much the same. They, they rhyme and the rhythm is the same. Lines uh, 3 and 4 are the same. So I'm going to read it again. Listen to what I'm saying. It's what you might call an A-A-B-B-A structure. Okay? Listen. Oh yeah. I'll be talking to Dan. Yeah. Okay. I'll, do you another, another, I'll read you another limerick. To, but hear the rhythm. An ambitious young fellow named Matt tried to parachute using his hat. You feel that rhythm? Yeah. Folks below looked so small as he started to fall, then got bigger and bigger and splat. Okay? Yeah? So A, A, B, B, A. In this passage here, verses 3 to 5, there's something of a rhythm. It's what they call a chiastic or chiastic structure, which is basically A, B, B, A. So it, so. It's kind of held together at the start and the beginning, and there's some two things in the middle. So I'll just show you this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So something about God our Father, then links into, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present age, according to the will of our God and Father. See that rhythm? So we've got the God and Father, God and Father, and then two things that Jesus did in the middle. And together, it's just a very, very concise and beautiful way of summing up the Gospel. So here's the Gospel, according to Paul, in these couple of verses. Firstly, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Grace, remember the bananas last week, as you hear last week, Matt's bananas? <laughs> it's only... A, 
Yes, Adam was here. Okay, obviously you were all away last week, or you were asleep. Matt preached on grace. Matt med, and he got his bananas out and spoke about how God taught him about generosity through his flatmate who ate too many bananas. Anyway, the whole idea being that grace is about the generosity and the goodness of God, the overflow of God, that when God treats us with grace, he treats us not as we deserve. His disposition towards us does not add up with what we are, does not add up with what we've done, does not add up with our past or our present or our future, if left to our own devices, that the mass of grace is not two plus two makes four, it's confusing. That God should look upon us with favour, that God should look upon us with generosity, with kindness, with an overflow, with a determination to do us good, when all that we have done is run from him and kick against him and bid for autonomy autonomy and independence from him is staggering. Now, it would be slightly understandable if God had no friends. Or if God needed us in some way. There was a kid in our school, in secondary school, he always used to buy everyone loads of stuff. But the reason he bought us stuff is because no one liked him. He was just one of those guys. And so when he bought you stuff, something in you actually wanted to push him away further. Horrible, but true. You just thought, no, why? Because there was such a neediness about it. Do you know what I mean? It was like, I'll be my friend. It's like, I don't want that. Because this isn't how friendship works. When God gives us things we don't deserve, it's not coming out of any neediness in his heart. He is full. He's absolutely satisfied in and of himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect community. So it doesn't come out of that. It comes out of the deep, burning love of God. It comes out of the jealous love of the Father towards his creation. It's just love. It's the wild, free running of love. It can't be contained, it can't be explained, but you certainly mustn't try and say, oh, well, maybe God kind of needs us because he's lonely. He really isn't. He is full. And yet he chooses to come after us with grace. Which leads to peace, shalom. The grace of God is the thing that will lead to that shalom in our lives. Please hear that. Because it's, it's, it's heartbreaking once you've found Christ, to live in a world where you're constantly watching people chasing shalom everywhere, in everywhere but God. And you think, it's not going to work. And you want to set up a little stand and say, it's not going to work. Except you think, that won't work either. And he's saying that. But you, it won't work. Let me show you, let, I'll explain why. Grace to you, God's favour to you. I'll just say that, God's favour to you. Which leads to shalom, wholeness, well-being, peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who did what? Who gave himself for your sins. This is incredible. Who gave himself. Didn't send an angel. Didn't just send someone really obedient. There was no one obedient. He gave himself for our sins on the cross. There was an atoning sacrifice. There was a moment, you've got to get this, don't, whatever you do, start to just put in your religious box. He gave himself for your sins. There's a real person in real history who gave themselves in time and space for your sins. For your perverted lust. A man in history gave himself on behalf of your sexual perversion. A man in history gave himself on behalf of your bitterness, on behalf of your selfish ambition, on behalf of whatever sin you want to name, on behalf of your violent aggression, on behalf of your half-hearted apathy, on behalf of your worship of anything except God. There was a man in history, Jesus Christ, who gave himself on behalf of your sins. 
Why? To deliver you. To rescue you. To rescue you from this present evil age. This age is an age of corruption. It's going rotten. It's got death written all over it. It, we We are to be the salt in it to preserve it. But it's going to a place of destruction whereby then the Lord will recreate, will create all things new. But it's got corruption written all over it. That's the age that we live in. It's evil. It's, you know, it's just, there's just so much evil. Just, just everywhere. And there's still so much good because it's God's creation. So I delight in life and creation and all the good things. I'm not saying everything's bad, not at all. But, but the whole thing is woven through with evil. Because this age has been given over to sin and corruption. What Paul is saying here is that that man, giving himself for your sins, rescues you out of that. So that you no longer are in the present evil age. Not that you don't live in it anymore, I still live in it, but I'm not in it. I'm no longer under it. I'm no longer governed by it. I'm no longer under its governing influence. I'm no longer marching to its beat. I'm, no, I'm not in it anymore. I'm in a completely different kingdom. I'm, I'm living in an age of new life. I've got new life in me and it's getting newer and newer every day. I've got a relationship with God. I've been rescued from that slavery to sin because someone gave themselves for my sin. Yeah? You under, you, you, do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you get it. Anyone else get it? Yeah. This is amazing. I am no longer in that. Why? Because someone gave himself for my sin. So my position has changed completely. Why? Because someone else did something for me. Jesus gave himself for me, so my whole position has changed. But what did you do? No, we're not even, that's not the gospel. That's not, don't even, we're not going there. That's not the gospel. That's not good. Good news is not, Steph, get out of this mess. That's bad news. You know why it's bad news? Because by myself I'm trapped in it and the more you tell me to do it, the worse I'm going to end up. I'll just get discouraged and trapped and paralysed. That's not gospel. Gospel is, there is a man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for my sins. That act has rescued me from this evil age. I'm out of it. I'm free. I'm running free. I'm running. I have the freedom, I have permission from God to throw off everything that hinders and I can just run free. How? On what grounds? This man gave himself for me. What did you do? Nothing. What, this is, what is this? Good news. That's what the gospel means. It's good news. And then it ends, back to our A, according to the will of our God and Father. This was God, our Father's plan the whole time. He wants to bring you home. In order to bring you home, to reconcile him to you, he's got to forgive you, he's got to clean you up. And that man, Jesus, giving himself for your sins, being punished for your sins, taking on all the guilt and shame and vileness of your sins, and freely offering you his righteousness, fits you out for the presence of God. There it is. You can come into the presence of God just as you are. Why? Because Jesus has been completely successful in his mission. Now I know that most of you probably know this, but I tell you, I, I, I don't think we can hear it enough. Because I think our heads go down, we tend to start looking at ourselves again, or we do this mistake, we start thinking, well I know that's how it started off. But come on now, we can't seriously expect God to allow us to actually continue in that. Yes you can. In fact, 
That's the heart of the Galatians' problem. You know what they probably weren't saying? We're trying to get in with God now, you know, through this and so They probably were saying, Flip, we've real, you know, we've, we've realised that, uh, man, you know, God did a work. We, we met God in some way. Definitely something's changed. And these people from Jerusalem are saying, yeah, something's changed, but come on now. That's not the whole thing. To really secure it and to really get, work this thing right, you've got to introduce this circumcision thing and then the law, and it's just adding it in. And we can do that. We won't use circumcision. We won't do dietary laws. But what we'll do is we'll take our focus off of Christ and we'll just start looking at ourselves and trying to make ourselves right for God. Yeah? We're trying, oh, now I've got this and add this in, and if I don't do this, then I'm in trouble. Rather than keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, which releases you to run. So you start by grace, you continue by grace. It's not starting by grace and continue by works. We'll get to that as the weeks go on, but it's very, very exciting. He then says this, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Man alive, strong language. Astonished, deserting, trouble, distort. It's like, it's my dream come true. You know what I'm like with dramatic language? This is like, Paul, I love you. I can actually, I can actually just, unpack these mighty words he is astonished why is he astonished here's why he's astonished who in their right mind leaves good news for bad who in their right mind would receive good news from God as a free gift and then move away from that to something which isn't good news and just leads to heaviness and fleshly effort it's tragic he says, I can't believe. What, what would go on in your head to make you think that is the will of God? What, what would happen in your heart? I am shocked that you have done this. I am completely shocked. I can't believe it. I've heard this report that you lot started getting circumcised. I cannot believe what you are doing. I'm astonished. And he says, I'm astonished that you've deserted the Lord. Now, hold on a minute. I'm sure the intention of these Galatians was the opposite. I'm sure it was, no, with the, these guys from Jerusalem came in, they said, if you really want to know God, you've got to do this stuff. So I'm sure they're thinking, we're getting closer, Paul's saying, you're deserting him. You're leaving him. You're moving away from God. How so? How so? Here's how so. Listen to how he describes it. You're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. If you know God, it's because he called you in the grace of Christ. He said, oi, one day. He woke you up. Yeah, one way or another, he woke you up. There was a moment. He might have been three, he might have been 33, but suddenly, oh, he called you, it made sense, the penny dropped, and you said, Jesus, I'm following you. Am I right? What was that? You were called in the grace of Christ. In that moment, you weren't thinking, but what, what, what have I done? You just woke up. What is that? God said, oi. Time. Come. Called in the grace of Christ. That's how you're supposed to continue. You move away from that, that calling in the grace of Christ, you are deserting God. You're going somewhere very, very different. Really, and really bad, really blasphemous, really very insulting. And we'll look at why in just a second. He said, he said you'll be in trouble. He knew it, he would have known, this would not, they'll be doing it because they think, oh we better do this, these guys are coming from Jerusalem, they sound really clever, and Jerusalem like, ooh, you know, they've got to be right, you know, it's kind of a, 
religious city, uh, but he would know that deep in the heart they'd be thinking, it's not what it was, it's not like what it was. You've been troubled. You've been troubled. Because when you move away from the gospel, it's troubling. You know what I'm saying? It's troubling. You've all been, those of us who know the Lord Jesus, you know what it's like. When you, you just take a couple of steps, you don't even mean it often, but something changes. You know what I mean? And you're like, it's not like it was. It's not like it was. There's, the joy's gone. The peace is gone. The sense of adventure's gone. It's, not, it's different. They've been troubled. They've been troubled. And he says this, he says, because someone's distorted the gospel. Now this is massive. This is a fear of God issue. It's God's gospel. It's his message. It's not, oh, there's a group of guys, a group of us here at Revelation. We believe this, we believe this, we believe these ideas. We've got these ideas. Isn't it amazing? We met each other, we all had these same ideas. We have these ideas about God and Jesus, it's really great. We believe this stuff, but kind of cool. You know, you believe what you like, but we believe this. No. God's gospel. This is God's way to reconcile mankind, creation, to himself through Jesus. This is cosmic. This involves everything from the minutest detail, an individual soul, to the whole of creation. is being reconciled and renewed to God, brought back to God through Jesus Christ. This is huge. This isn't something you can just kind of... You can't just, don't, mustn't just view it horizontally. I think we do this so much. You think, oh, I believe that. You believe that too, isn't that? That's a coincidence. You know, these people believe this. No. <laughs> A revelation has come from God. He says, you're turning to another gospel. And then he says this, I love this. Not that there is another one. There's not another gospel. There isn't one. You know what the word gospel means? There's only one message of good news. Fundamentally, every other belief system in the world is about, you've got to do some stuff. You want to be right with God? You've got to do some stuff and then hope for the best. Or you've got to stop doing some stuff. And then hope for the best. You know, and then we'll see what God does. You've got to make a choice. Yeah? So you do some stuff, and then you've got to make a choice. The gospel is this. God has done some stuff. God has done some stuff, alright? Now you choose. Okay? You've got to get that. Wherever you go, whatever spiritual place you go and visit now, you name it, the message is fundamentally this. Do some stuff. Or stop doing some stuff. And then, well, we'll see. God will decide. Good news is this, God's done it. Jesus said it is finished. It is done. It, that word finished means completed, it's fulfilled. I've done it. The complete, every, when we gather on a Sunday, we gather to the completed work of Jesus Christ. We gather to the risen one. God has covered every base needed for salvation and then said, open the doors. Come in. Come in. So the choice is with us. God's done it. And we get to choose. Do we choose Christ or not? It's staggering, staggering stuff. And then, towards the end, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then just in case we thought, Paul, you're going a bit overboard there, you probably spoke impulsively, a bit of emotion in the moment. He then says, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Why so? I mean, why that? You think you're going, whoa, why that strong? Why that strong? The earth, the world is under a curse. We're born alienated from God under the curse of sin, right? God has made a way for us to escape that curse. It's Jesus Christ. Through Christ, you come out of the curse and into the blessing of God. Okay? It's as simple as that. 
Through Christ you come out of the curse and into the blessing. There's no grey area. You come out of the curse and into the blessing. If you're in Christ, you're blessed. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's loved you with an everlasting love. He's adopted you. He's cleansed you, redeemed you. You are blessed if you're in Christ. Amen? Amen. You understand this. Okay? So this is, this is a big deal. There's only one message to remove the curse of sin off your life and get you reconciled to God. And it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when someone starts coming along and doesn't just preach something completely different, because that's obvious, but preaches something apparently the gospel and using the name Jesus and speaking about the same historical Jesus that is the Jesus of the true gospel, but then adds some bits into it so it's kind of like changed. That is bad. That is condemnable behaviour. Because that person preaching that is going to lead people astray. Sincere people. Genuinely converted people. You see it happen. I mean, you see it happen. And your heart breaks. You see it happen as a pastor. Every now and then you come across something and you say, did you really get taught that where you were? And they're like, yeah. And you think, it's just outrageous. Just outrageous. It's going to kill you. Let him be accursed, Paul says. He says, even, even an angel. What's he saying there? He said, well, basically, look, beware other supernatural experiences that are not firmly anchored in the gospel. Beware just the supernatural stuff that would draw you away from Jesus. If it's the work of the Spirit, point you to Jesus. How do you fundamentally discern whether this is of the Holy Spirit or not? Are you more excited about Jesus as a result? That's the best way. Don't get into the, oh, shaking. How do we discern shaking? How can you discern shaking, for goodness sake? Yeah, who knows? Someone can be shaken under the power of the Holy Spirit, shaking because they're cold, all right? Or shaking because everyone else is shaking and they, feel, and they want to feel spiritual. I mean, shaking, smaking, I don't know, okay? That's not the point. You're getting distracted with nonsense there. Are you more thrilled with Christ as a result of that experience? Are you more, are you, is it more, are you getting the fact that this is, that in Him, are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what the Colossians says. In him are hidden all the treasures of, of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians says that in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. He is enough. He's, uh, Paul in Ephesians talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You can never get to the end of Jesus. And there's this invitation from Jesus, abide in me, you bear much fruit, apart from me you can't do nothing. Abide in me, you bear much fruit, apart from me you can't do anything. Jesus is just saying, I've got it all, and without me you've got nothing. Come. Come. He's enough. I tell you, he's enough for your soul. He's the only thing that's enough for your soul, and your soul will never tire of him. He's the only one that can satisfy your soul, and your soul will never tire of him. If your soul is tired of him, Something's happened and it's not to do with him. It's to do with you. And the Lord will help you get back on track. He will help you get back. I've known those seasons where you suddenly think, it's nothing to do with him. <laughs> it's always to do with me. Either negligence or rebellion or anxiety. You know those things that can just begin to choke what God's doing. It's always to do with me. Never to do with him. He is wonderful. He is sufficient. Always. And let me end with this. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
this has been my little, you know, you get a verse for life. For a few years, this is my vote. You know, this is, this is the one. I'm, this is the one. You know, if, I don't know if you're like me, but naturally I can be quite prone to what do people think of me and all of that. This has been my verse for years. Galatians 1.10. Tell myself, Galatians 1.10. If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It seems like Paul had come under some flack. And that the people from Jerusalem had come into the Galatian churches and had said this. The reason why Paul didn't teach you about circumcision and the reason why Paul didn't teach you about the law is because, you know what, he wanted to just please you. He didn't want to tell you this hard stuff. He wanted to keep your favour. It seems like that's what they'd said. So Paul was just said all this stuff about cursed and astonished and you're deserting God. And then he says, am I talking like a man pleaser? And he says this, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I think you can take that two ways. Number one, it means this. If I decide in my heart that fundamentally my life is about trying to please someone, a particular person, or just everyone generally, I can't follow Christ. Okay? I can't. Or number two, more subtly, it's actually in my heart where I really worship is at the altar of what people think of me. Then even though I might think I'm following Christ, I'm not really serving him. Because really I'm constantly just gauging how's that going to fit with so and so and what will they think. And there's, a, there's an element to which there's, some, just, there's a natural thing. None of us, if someone wants to deliberately upset people, something's wrong with them. But there must come that point where you set apart Christ as Lord. And you say, do you know what Jesus, if I know it's you, I'm going to do it. And that means moving away from my little altar there of what so and so thinks. Could be your parents, could be your spouse, could be your certain friends or group or certain culture you're part of and you think, do you know what I'm just gripped by what they think of me I'm, I'm enslaved really to the opinions of what these people have of me and it keeps you away from really serving Jesus and Paul's really broken through there and by God's grace he will continually help us to break through that as we just let him and, let he, and, and, and as he allows us to walk to walk out of that, it's a key motivation released from living a life of trying to please others so he can please Jesus and love others if you're always trying to please people, you won't love them properly because you're constantly scared of what they think of you rather than just loving them. Perfect love casts out fear. That's what we want to be about. So I just had a little few thoughts here to just maybe help some of you that might feel like, oh, maybe that's me. What, kind of, what does it look like to live a life pleasing people? Just a few things came to mind. Maybe you hold on to family traditions and beliefs. Even when you know these things are destructive or these things are unhelpful or these things are superstitious or these things aren't true. Maybe it means staying silent in key moments where someone's got to speak up. At this point, someone's got to speak up and it needs to be one of God's people and you just stay quiet. It could be speaking half-truths or white lies out of fear. That actually you've got a bit of a double tongue and it's not that you're deceiving intentionally, but you, you kind of, you're so aware of what people think that you, and you phrase things so differently depending on who you're with that there comes a point where you've almost crossed the line and there's a lack of integrity now. I'm sure we can all in some ways relate to these things. I know I think, oh yeah, I've got to, these are areas we've got to, we've got to watch. Um, because I remember reading one of my favourite Christian authors, A.W. Tozer, he, he spoke about having the candour of a child, the honesty of a child. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that, but sometimes it's tough. You know, I've got children, sometimes they just tell you. <laughs> and you're like, I wasn't ready for that. I was ready for an adult's response, which would be very measured and sensitive. And they just tell you, you know. And you think, oh, but there's... We are to be sensitive, but we are also to be able to say really what we think. And I believe, as we do that, do you know what will happen? 
If we do that with God, our relationship with God goes deeper. We tell God what we really think. There's a reverence in our heart, of course, but we're honest with the Lord. He wants reality, not superficiality. So we're honest with him. But also when we're honest with others, you know what happens? The same thing. Our relationships with others go deeper. And as I'm speaking now, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's highlighting that for some of you, you feel like I've got, I haven't got many friends. Or there's a friend, you just feel there's some, around friendship, there's just some stuff bubbling there. And I feel for some of you, there's a bit of a key. And it's just do with just speaking the truth in love. Do it in love, but speak the truth. And there may, there may be a few moments which are a bit funny, you know, but what will happen is, is that real relationships will be formed. But, and I want to, as I'm talking as well, I just feel the Lord's reminded me that there may be some of you that the culture you've been brought up in has been very secretive. Some cultures are really secretive. Even just, not cultures, but families. It's like, don't talk about anything. You know, they're always like, shh, you know, they're, why, why, just shh. It's kind of a strange suspicion or paranoia built into the thing. And what it can it can it just build like a case around your head. And you just assume that's the way it is. Let me tell you, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. That's fear. That's living out of a fear of being betrayed or a fear. That's probably coming out of some bad treatment that's built into this idea of, you know what? You've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing to... Do you know, I'll be honest with you, none of you ultimately can touch me. Sounds a bit weird, but what, what am I saying? You, you can know anything about me, ultimately. You, can't, you can do stuff, put stuff on Facebook, but at, at, at the end of the day, I'd probably, I might get a bit annoyed or a bit, but I'd probably end up just going, do you know what, who cares? I don't stand by my earthly reputation. I stand because Jesus makes me stand. Yeah? There are no skeletons in my cupboard. There's nothing that I'm needing to protect or guard. Now, I'm not saying just go and splurge everything to love your to everyone. That's equally as weird. But there's a freedom about just saying, this is who I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And when you live in that, and you live in that in community, you get a grace community. Where a whole bunch of people are accepting one another in the same way that Christ has accepted them. And it's beautiful. And the fear starts to get broken down, and the suspicion starts to get broken down, and you get this beautiful concoction of the family of God. And that's what we need to bear in mind when we're looking at this gospel stuff. It always starts vertically, but always goes horizontally. So these people from Jerusalem came in with this stuff about the gospel and da-da-da-da, but what happened was, and we'll see later, it created division in the church between Jew and Gentile. Started vertical, went horizontal. If we get the vertical right... God has broken every wall in Christ. We're home. Then we can begin to break down horizontal walls. Amen? Amen. Cultural walls, class walls, age walls, you name it. And we can say, oh, you are mine and I am yours in Christ. We're part of the same body. And who knows? We might both be fingers next to each other and end up serving a lot together and doing stuff together. You know, who knows? We're members, aren't we, of one another in Christ's body. And I'm, I'm excited for the day where through the gospel, through us really getting the gospel, we really find one another. We really find one another. And it's a beautiful thing that is utterly supernatural. Praise God for all that Jesus has done.